Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. In today's episode, you're going to learn about gallbladder disease with Dr. George Crawford. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a board-certified OBGYN who's been in practice for nearly 15 years. I've had the privilege of helping over 1,000 babies into this world, and I'm here to help you be calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Quick note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 128. I am delighted that you are spending some of your time with me today. So in today's episode, you're going to learn about the gallbladder. And I invited my friend, long-term friend, Dr. George Crawford onto the podcast to talk about it. Dr. Crawford is the founder and lead surgeon at the Crawford Clinic in Anniston, Alabama. He graduated from Morehouse College. That's how we met. He was at Morehouse. I was at Spelman many, many, many years ago. Shout out to HBCUs. He earned his bachelor's degree, summa cum laude, with Phi Beta Kappa distinction from Morehouse. He was also a Rhodes Scholar nominee. He then went on to get his MD from Baylor College of Medicine and complete his residency at Emory University. In addition to running his clinic, he's on the board of trustees at the Northeast Regional Medical Center. He volunteers through a mentorship program. 
he created for high school students. It gives them a practical firsthand experience in medicine. Dr. Crawford also loves inventing. That's one of his greatest passions. He got his first patent at the age of 16. He recently received his first surgical patent and he has two patents pending and is the founder of a biotech company, Modern Surgical Design. And then on top of all of that, he is the proud father of four very active children who participate in family hobbies like soccer, fishing, and a host of other hobbies as well. You can follow him on Instagram. He's on Instagram at SurgeryMD. He has about 50,000 followers there. And often in his stories, he shares fun stories about um, the adventures with his kids. And then he does surgery videos there as well. In this episode, you are going to learn what the gallbladder is, what it does, what are problems that can happen with the gallbladder in pregnancy, some risk factors for having gallbladder disease, as well as how gallbladder disease is treated. I'm seeing gallbladder issues more and more the longer I'm in practice. So I definitely think you need to check this episode out. You are going to learn something about gallbladder disease for sure. All right. So before we get into the episode, let me do a quick listener shout out. The person who did the review is called Hans and the title of the review says, glad I found this podcast. And the review says, I'm expecting a baby here in the next few weeks. And I felt like I needed some extra information to help me feel more confident. I really enjoyed listening to Dr. Nicole and her guest she has on. She comes to each podcast prepared with really thought provoking questions. The guest enjoys speaking to her as well. I'm also studying to be a doula, and I think the podcast provides a lot of great information, and I feel like its purpose is to provide enough information not to push you in one direction or another, but to educate you enough for you to make a great decision for yourself and your family. Thank you, Hans, for that lovely, lovely review. I so appreciate you taking the time to leave that review, and I hope everything went well with your birth. Now, you are spot on in that I am here to provide information, to help you feel confident, to help you make great decisions for yourself during your birth. Now you can take it up to another level when you join the birth preparation course. The birth preparation course is my signature online childbirth class that gets you calm, confident, and empowered to have a beautiful birth. It'll help you prepare yourself so you have a calm and peaceful mind. You'll understand your body and what happens in labor and birth as well as the postpartum period. And you will learn how to advocate for yourself. You can check out all the details of the birth preparation course at drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. Over 1,000 mamas have gone through the birth preparation course. I'd love to have you there too. It's an incredible amount of value in the course for what you pay for the price. So check it out, drnicolerankins.com forward slash enroll. Okay, let's get into the conversation about gallbladder and pregnancy with Dr. George Crawford. Thank you, Dr. Crawford, for agreeing to come on to the podcast, y'all. I'm going to tell you up front, I have known <laughs> George for a really listen, long listen, time. Listen, when you said Dr. Crawford, I'm like, why is she talking about my dad? What is she? I'm like, oh, that's right. That's me this time. I got you. So forgive us if we sound like small children <laughs> as we talk about the important topic of gallbladder yes. disease and pregnancy. Yes, yes. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having All me. All right. So why don't you start off, tell us about yourself, your work, and your family, if you'd like to. Yeah, so I am a small, I call myself a small town general surgeon, um, although I'm really not a small general surgeon. So I do a lot of advanced laparoscopic work, um, and laparoscopic liver resections, laparoscopic colons, gastrectomies, bariatric surgery. So a general surgery practice, but focuses on laparoscopy. Um being in a medium-sized market, because I'm stuck between two academic centers about an hour away, it allows me to kind of do what I want to without a lot of pressure. Uh, as far as me, single, four kids. One of them's graduating from Spelman this weekend. Lovely, lovely. And uh, a 14-year-old, 12-year-old boy, and a eight-year-old daughter that just pulls every nerve I have, every <laughs> chance she gets. So, but she's so cute, though. That does not help. <laughs> it's just, no. Oh. 
She's she's delightful. She's delightful. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> so what mm-hmm. what training did you go through? I like folks to get 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 an idea of what um we go through in our training. So how many years of training did you go through to become a surgeon? So four years uh at one of the world's greatest institutions, Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. So graduated as a chemistry major from there. Once I left Morehouse went to Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, not Baylor University with the football team. Um, And then four years there. And from Baylor, I went to Emory University where I did my general surgery training. Five years. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And you've been in practice now for how long? long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Let me see. I'm 15 years and I was a little bit behind. So you got to be a little couple more. Yeah. So I started here. Yeah. So I started here in um, Anniston in 2005. So 16, 17 years, something like that. Okay. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. All right. So let's get into it. Let's talk about the gallbladder and pregnancy. First off, and I get this question a lot. What is the gallbladder? Where is it? What does it do? Okay. So gallbladder sits right underneath the liver, which is on the right side of the abdomen. Uh, In surgery, we call it the right upper quadrant. Um, What it does is... Yeah, I know you don't eat fast food or any nasty stuff. I try not to. But if you're eating hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza, the amount of grease in that meal is just a little more than your body can handle. So what it does is it stores up bile um, in the gallbladder. So the liver produces bile. It gets stored and conjugated in the gallbladder. And then when you eat that fat burger or fried pizza, it gives it a little squeeze, the juice comes out, helps your body digest that food. Love it. Nice, easy explanation. Perfect. So then what are common conditions that affect the gallbladder and are they different, whether it's during pregnancy or outside of pregnancy? So so I think that's where a lot of people get confused with Mm -hmm. the gallbladder because you have gallbladder disease and you have gallstones. Okay. Gallbladder disease is when your gallbladder doesn't have the ability to give that squeeze anymore. Um, So think of it like a water hose, okay? If you take a water hose and it's supposed, you turn the faucet on and stuff's supposed to come out, it works like it's supposed to. But if the pressure is not there and the water is just trickling out, it's building up behind and it causes pain. So most people, when they have a gallbladder attack, it's that gallbladder kind of spasming because it just can't get stuff out and just stuff doesn't want to come out. So that's what causes pain. Now that's different from gallstones. So gallstones can actually block that hose. So the water can't come out because it's got a blockage in it. It's got stone in it. So then that pressure builds up. And now that filling and that full sensation is what causes that pain again. So it can either be because it's spasming or it's because it's got so much pressure that it can't squeeze out. Um, you can get into stuff like pancreatitis and all this other stuff, host of problems down the line. But for the most part, that's really what gallbladder disease is. Gotcha. Now, the other time it gets a little weird is because about 10 to 15% of the population, probably 20% um, in America now, actually they have gallstones. But just because you have gallstones doesn't mean you have gallbladder disease. Okay. So. If you go to the doctor and he says you have gallstones, it's not like you have kidney stones. It's not the same kind of thing. It's just like, well, if you have them and you're not having any pain when you eat spicier, fatty foods, don't worry about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, when does gallbladder like infection come into play? Like cholecystitis? Yes. So if the duct gets blocked, either because there's a stone stuck in it or because the gallbladder stopped working because it's not able to squeeze anymore, that's when it can get infected. Now, the other thing you got to remember is that the gallbladder comes right off of the small intestine, Mm -hmm. right where the stomach and the small bowel connect. So what that means is there's actually bacteria that free floats in and out of your gallbladder all the time. As long as it's squeezing and emptying, it's not a big deal. Um, You know, because if you think about it, for that bile to come out the liver and then go back up into the uh, gallbladder, it's kind of got to be able to do a two-way street thing. Um, gotcha. And what happens is some people just will get a little infection in there. And then if it can't empty it like it's supposed to, you got a bad gallbladder. Okay. 
Okay. So what are then some of the symptoms of your gallbladder is bad? So the classic story is right upper quadrant abdominal pain, radiating to your back, worse when you eat spicy or fatty foods, nausea, not necessarily vomiting. Um, if it gets really bad, your urine can be dark. If it's um, just your stools can be light colored, um, your skin can turn yellow, you can have real bad itching. Um, those are kind of bad signs, so like fevers and chills. Um, but for the most part, epigastric or right upper quadrant abdominal pain and nausea, sometimes 30 minutes after you eat hamburgers or pizza. Or spicy, greasy yes. sort of stuff. Yes. Got it, got yes. it. So how common is gallbladder disease in pregnancy? So uh, in- instead of giving an, in- an incidence, mm-hmm. what I'll say is the a gallbladder removal or laparoscopic cholecystectomy is the second most common non-obstetrical operation that occurs during pregnancy. Really? Yeah. First is appendicitis. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. I, people are... I believe that the incidence of gallbladder disease is higher in pregnancy than the incidence of appendicitis. Mm-hmm. But I think the trick is, is that appendicitis, we automatically, as soon as you think somebody has appendicitis, you send them to the surgeon. You're like, hey, we got to rule it out, find it, take it out. Because it's clear that sepsis infections has a has a known risk to the mother and the child. Right. Um with gallbladder, what happens is, you know, you got that first trimester, y'all are um, always worried about, is this hyperemesis? Is it just nausea associated with the first mm-hmm. trimester? So it could be that, or it could be gallbladder. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. kind of hard to say which one it is or it isn't. And um, a lot of times, I think a lot of those gallbladder patients just kind of get grouped into that first trimester nausea or vomiting. Sure. And then by the second, third trimester, they've just like, oh, well, this is because you're pregnant. It's not a big deal. And it gets missed, so we don't take out as many gallbladders as people actually have gallbladder disease during pregnancy. Gotcha, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense, actually. We do most often tend to think that it's related to nausea and vomiting of pregnancy. Yes. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add a Central for Women prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. So what puts you at a higher risk for having gallbladder disease? Are there any risk factors that we, other than eating spicy fat? Other than not doing what you're supposed to, what else? I mean, mean, realistically, high cholesterol does. Uh Um, That's that's one thing. And that's something that you can probably treat, definitely treat before um, getting pregnant, being overweight, um, which is a, national health problem in in the United States, at least, also puts you at risk. Um, The funny part about gallbladder disease in pregnancy is most of the patients, if you talk to them, they probably were having attacks around that first pregnancy Mm -hmm. or even before they were pregnant. Right. Kind of blew it off. Right. And then they get pregnant again. So. Um, a lot of the patients that I take their gallbladders out um, that are pregnant, it usually occurs during the second pregnancy. But then when you start talking to them, they all had clear classic signs and symptoms 
during the first pregnancy um, and just kind of didn't do anything. Right. From right. a pregnancy standpoint, I would say, you know, if you have those symptoms or if you're kind of like, you know, you know, when I was eating, you know, KFC and it did bother me during my pregnancy, at least let me go get my gallbladder checked out in between the first and second one. Um, I think you'd see a lot more people that are actually suffering from gallbladder disease during pregnancy that just get missed. Got it. So, got I, it. so I would say that's the biggest thing is to check in between the two okay. pregnancies if you're having two pregnancies. Yeah, yeah. I, what about the old, and y'all don't don't roast me for this. I'm going to let you say it. No, I know, I'm going to let you say it. I'm not so saying we used it. So we used to learn in medical school that the risk factors were female, fat, fertile, and 40. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. You know, and... and so it's it's weird. Female, yes, without question. The majority of gallbladders that I take out are, are um, females. Um, you know, when you are a cla- a classy physician like myself, we say obesity. Yes. We don't say fat. Correct. But, um, um, the problem now is, especially in the state of Alabama, one third of the population is obese. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you. <laughs> It's it's uh, it's everybody's got it. So, you know, that that and that's probably the, the biggest risk out of all of that other than being female, I think. So it's kind of hard now. So now just everybody's at risk for it. You know, and the other funny part is that I probably take out one, maybe two pediatric gallbladders. Pediatric? Every, oh, yeah. The youngest gallbladder I've ever taken out. I think. That's about a nine-year-old. Oh my goodness! Because okay. again, they're female, uh-huh. and now they're overweight. Right, right, right. Okay. So, okay. all right, all right. It happens. So, how is it treated? So, traditionally, it's laparoscopic cholecystectomy, or taking it out laparoscopically through small incisions. It used to be called laser surgery. Um, every once in a while, if you have someone that, for whatever reason, you know, they're high-risk pregnancy uh, or not healthy enough or have a lot of stuff going on and you can't take a gallbladder out. Um, there's a medicine called Actigal that basically mm-hmm. thins the fluid that makes up uh, bile in your gallbladder. And that can help dissolve stones as well as make it easier for the stuff to come out. You know, again, think of it as... You know, going back to that water hose scenario, if you can make the water a little, little more wet, I know that's kind of one of those things that we talk about on the internet is water wet. But you know, if you can make the water <laughs> come out a little easier, then you wouldn't have um, as much of a buildup in pressure. Got so Actigal does that. Um, you know, it wasn't really used as a favorable medicine in pregnancy up until it became more favorable recently. Um, okay. But in the past. Um, we didn't do that. Everybody just, you know, just kind of, uh, and it sounds bad, but I mean, I know, you know this in OB, we just kind of blew it off mm-hmm. until the baby delivered. You right. know, we kind of, you know, that's not a, it's not something we're proud of, but that's what we used to do. So. Yeah. I have to say there are, it depends on the surgeon. Obviously you, you are more of today and progressive and understanding that we have to take care of the the pregnant person in yes. order for the baby to be healthy. But I still have some surgeons who are like, but what about the baby? And it's like, well, her gallbladder is infected. She's right. going to die if you don't right. take right. it out. Right. So right. will right. you please take it out? Right. So- right. 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 You know, and, and I think the funny part is that even here, I mean, we have a bunch of general surgeons and um, I am probably, there may be one other guy that will do it, but the, a lot of general surgeons just like no, send him to George. They just don't. You know, don't feel comfortable for whatever reason. Yeah, but you know, part of it also is that you know we kind of got crappy training in residency when it um, comes to OB patients. Mm. Um, At least from most, I mean, you know, you wouldn't see it because you're an OB. But you know, from a every other specialty standpoint, we were just kind of like, oh, OB taking care of it. Don't worry about it. You don't need to learn it. Just call it OB. Right. And you know that kind of you know, puts that patient population at a detriment because sure. you didn't have people that don't want to take care of them. Sure, so. sure, sure. So what are the risks of laparoscopic surgery in pregnancy? So it depends on what you're talking about. If you're going in the first trimester, it is actually um, early termination, uh, spontaneous abortion of the, of the fetus. 
Um, if you are looking in the third trimester, it's usually early delivery. Um, as far as during the second trimester, that's like the honey spot. That's mm-hmm. where we always want to take it out um, because the baby is um, secure enough in the uterus to where we're not worried about um, an early delivery. And at the same time, they're secure enough to where um, developmentally where we're not as worried about having problems with the CO2, um, having problems with with anything. Um, the the crazy part is is that a gallbladder. I'm gonna ignore the baby for a second, and then I'm gonna come back to the baby. Sure. Okay. So if we ignore the baby and we just look at the mother, a laparoscopic cholecystectomy is just as safe in a pregnant woman as it is in someone who is not pregnant if the surgeon knows what they're doing Mm -hmm. and they start by putting their trocar in the left upper quadrant. Got it. And guys, that's all about the placement of the surgical instrument. It's really about understanding the the pregnant person's anatomy and adapting the surgery to that. Yes, yes. Now, once you start throwing in the, the fetus, you then have the host of you know, then you start getting into anesthesia. You then start getting into um, the medicines that they're using. So there are some risks there. Um, but again, most of those we've kind of worked out over time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the other thing, the other tricky part is how long to monitor the fetus after surgery if you're having to do it in the third trimester before you send the patient home. Because remember that time I called uh-huh. you? I think I sent you a text message. <laughs> and I was like, I was like uh, you know, because let me tell you what happened. I, the, so I had this lady, she was uh, 33 weeks pregnant. And, and you know, I, and I kind of got mad at the OB because dude just kind of left me hanging. I was like, um, your lady's sick. Right. She needs a gallbladder out. Right. And he was like, well, well, you just do what you got to do. I'm like, that is not, that is not something I can put on the chart. I can't can't say, (laughs) you know, the OB said, do what I got to do. So that's my, you know, that's my thing. Um, So he was just, you know, I was like, you know, and then I was like, ma'am, do you want me to ship you? She was like, no, I'm not going anywhere, Dr. Crawford. I'm like, okay. Okay. So that's why I called you because I was like, I just need to know. But, But, you know. But that's the thing is, you know, so that kind of made me mad. But but uh, and we really should work together like that is completely inappropriate. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and especially when, you know, my part of the procedure takes anywhere from five minutes to 30 minutes Mm -hmm. and I'm done. The rest of it is making sure that the mother and the child are safe. Sure. Sure. So it's recovery time. It's follow up with their OB. Um, there is the making sure I'm not writing for something crazy that can cause the patient and the fetus a problem. So a lot of that is OB care. And it's just weird sometimes when people are like, oh, well, we just good luck. I'm like, dude, it's your patient. Yeah, exactly. You got OB. Exactly. What? Like- what? Exactly. Come on, That's come on, family. Not appropriate. But, yeah. yeah, and part of that I think is that when you start getting into that third trimester, the OBs get a little kind of, kind of jumpy because they know that the baby can come early, um, so they kind of want to avoid a little, you know, avoid that as well. Versus the second trimester, everybody's on board, but I think that's also because it's a lot safer in the second trimester than the third trimester. Sure. Sure. But in general, to be very clear on balance, if it needs to come out, it needs to come out. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing is that, you know, I, I probably the, the only, so if I have someone in the first trimester and they're not gaining weight, like they're supposed to, or the fetus is not measuring from a growth standpoint, the way that they're supposed to, and they have gallstones and we kind of tease through it and they have signs and symptoms before I will do it in the first trimester. And I just have to, you know, the, I usually, usually what happens is the, um, the female comes in without any other family support. Mm. So when I'm doing a first trimester cholecystectomy, I say, okay, well, we're going to do this next week. But I need you to bring your husband, your boyfriend, your mama, your wife, whoever right. in so we can have this conversation together so they understand 
what we're doing and why we are doing. Right, right, right. And then if you do that, most people are, and I do that with third trimester as well. But if you do that, most people are just kind of like, okay, do it. Everybody's on the same page. And I say, hey, look, worst case scenario, if we do not do this and you get sick and have a problem, we lose you and the child. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking you to make a choice between you and your child, but I'm telling you is that if something happens, I would rather lose one of you than both of you. And from my standpoint, I have to do what takes care of the mother and what takes care of the mother is best for the family, which also includes the child. hundred percent. And most people get it once you put it that way. They're like, okay, that makes sense. That's, that's how I always frame it. Like we, in order to have a healthy baby, we have to have a healthy mom. And if you're not healthy, then the baby doesn't stand a chance. Not everybody is comfortable having that, that conversation, I would say. So, um, is it, is it, are there ever any times though where you are like, okay, we can wait and do this like right after you deliver or shortly after you deliver? Are there any other options? Is is it ever an option to wait? Oh yeah, listen, no, I, you give an option. I'm a wait. Okay, so if, you, oh. if you're th- if you're talking about taking it out, then it's like it, it's yes, yes, this, this is the option. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. But if you if you're like if you know if you come in like yeah, I got a little nausea when I eat Starbucks or uh, or whatever, I'm like, well, stop eating Starbucks. If that works, <laughs> leave it alone. You'll right. be fine. Right. But. And most of those patients say, look, but six weeks after that baby comes out, you and I are going to dance. We're going to get this thing done. And you would be surprised. I'd probably about 80 percent of the patients I have that conversation with do show up around six weeks. Okay. Okay. And they're like, let's get it done. Let's let's do it. Let's do it. Right. Because because, again, if it happened in the first one, it's going to happen with the second one. Right. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So what can people expect after the gallbladder is removed in in terms of like physical recovery? And then also like what happens to their body when they don't have a gallbladder anymore? (laughs) Right. right, right. They turn green and look like marshes. No. So, 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 okay. So laparoscopic cholecystectomy done safely traditionally has a recovery time of about a week. Um, They're going to be most tender at the umbilical port. Uh, for two reasons. One, the uterus is pushing up on it anyway, so it's stretching it just because of pregnancy. Um, and two, that's where we bring the gallbladder out. So with that, that's going to be the most tender site. Um, and it's also the largest incision that we make. Now, after you get over that pain, which usually lasts about a week, there's about a four to six week time where you still can't eat spicy or fatty foods. Mm. Because you have phantom pain. Your, your body basically says, okay, the gallbladder's still there. And then part of it's saying, no, it's not. So your body has to have time to figure it out. And eventually that goes away. Um, and we usually, there's not really anything to do with that. It just takes time. And you just kind of have to slowly introduce those favorite foods that got you to where you were in the first place. Gotcha. Anesthesia is kind of weird. Is that laparoscopic cholecystectomy now um, the anesthesia recovery is almost harder than the recovery from surgery, just really? because. Yeah, because if you think about it, we're giving you all these medicines. Your body's got to metabolize them. You have to, um, you know, get back to homeostasis or the way that your body normally runs. And you know, when I do a gallbladder, I have a one centimeter incision in the belly. I mean, excuse me, a one inch incision in the belly button and a five millimeter incision on the side. And that's it. So the incisions themselves are small. Um, the inside of your body, you know, doesn't really feel pain like the rest of your body does. Right, right. So it's, a lot of it is just they're tired. You know, patients are tired because you know they even though even though they have the growth of a fetus, you now have this uh, metabolism downregulation from the anesthesia, and then but your body needs all of this energy to recover. Um, so it's this weird kind of I'm tired, but I feel better because I can eat, but I have a loss of appetite just because my body's trying to figure out that the gallbladder is gone. Sure. Um, So it's not so much the physical surgery, but once you add the anesthesia on there, it's a little bit different. Um, Most of my patients, after about a week, they're pretty much doing fine, except for um, the changes that go along with their diet. Um, Every once in a while, and this is probably not so much a pregnancy issue, um, not pregnancy issue, um, an issue for patients that have the gallbladder removed during pregnancy mm-hmm. is that sometimes you have what's called post-cholecystectomy syndrome. So you can have diarrhea 
or constipation, depending on how your body deals with the um, increased bile salts that are now coming out because your gallbladder is gone. Okay. So they're still coming out of your liver. Yes. They're just not being stored anymore. Correct. And your body has to, your body, it depends on how good your liver is. If, you know, if you were in college drinking way too much at Morris College and doing stuff like that, you know, your <laughs> liver probably doesn't, doesn't um, function as well as it used to. It may have a little problem downrating, downregulating and upregulating over time after your gallbladder is removed. If you know, if you're over here eating vegetables for, for all of your life and you just studied at, um, what was that Brawley? Where did you stay when you were at? Uh, I spelled was it? Yeah. Oh, I was in LLC. LLC. Oh, yeah. Y'all LLC were... one and two. Yes. Yeah. Well, you fancy. I forgot. <laughs> of course. Honor student, honor student and all that stuff. <laughs> of course. Um, so, you know, okay, like, you LLC... were, like you were also. Hey, Please hey, stop. hey. It's not about this. Is, this is not about me. <laughs> <laughs> this is your podcast. It's all about you. We're talking about you now. Oh. So, you know, if you're living that good LLC life and, you know, eating healthy um, and, you know, you have a pretty good diet and your liver functions great and you just happen to get a bad deal with a bad gallbladder because your mama gave you, you know, your mama had a bad gallbladder. Her grandmother had a bad gallbladder. Take your gallbladder out. You're ready to go. Okay. Without any okay. problems. Okay. So it's just, right. it's really person specific. Got it. Got it. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. Does it run in families? Why are you going to ask me that? I mean, um, just curious. Okay, that's like a... I'm going to say sort of. I'll say this. Because okay. maybe it's related to families having the same diet or similar. Yeah, everybody's yeah. eating the same nonsense. Uh-huh. Um, okay. But, you know, also, but part of it also, you know, goes to that question of, you know, if you eat a lot, you know, is your cholesterol high because you eat a lot of cholesterol or are you one of those people that genetically mm. are predisposed to having high cholesterol regardless? Gotcha. Um, you know, there's that component as well. Um, you know, and their hormonal differences, you know, no one's hormone level, especially females is the same. So, you know, if this one has a little more estrogen and progesterone versus this person, does that put them in a predisposition to having a bad gallbladder possibly, but how do we regulate, you know what I mean? There's no magic number. Right. Right. If I had to guess, I would say yes, but we haven't pinned it down yet. Okay. 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 So is there anything people can do to reduce their risk other than helping, you know, having a, a, a healthier balanced diet? Is there anything they can do to reduce their risk of, of developing gallbladder disease? Lose weight. Okay. All right. I mean, if you're decreasing the cholesterol in your diet, you're staying away from the red meat, a lot of dairy, a lot of fried foods, um, and you have a high fiber intake, um, you know, that's, you're doing everything you can. So, but the th- but also the funny part is if you're doing all that, you're probably not going to be overweight anyway. You're, you're probably going to have a pretty healthy diet. 
Um, you know, oh, this is not for mothers. This is for children. Uh-huh. Um, make sure that if you have kids that are involved in sports, especially in hot climates like the South, make sure that they drink a lot of fluids. Hmm. One of the biggest reasons we see um, bad gallbladders in kids is from dehydration. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, you'll see patients that are thin. You know, I have a thin 16-year-old female that comes into the office. She has a bad gallbladder. And, you know, you look at the mom and she's, you know, maybe she's overweight. And then you start talking to the mom. Well, my grandmother had it out. My mom had it out. I've had mine out. Why is she getting hers out of 16 and we have ours out of 30? It's like, well, because she's dehydrated. They're like, oh, okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. I will say that in general, I feel like I have seen over the years, more folks need their gallbladder removed in pregnancy. It seems to be increasing. Well, I I think part of it is also we're doing a better job of it. That's true. You know, I think, you know, when we used to have to put big wax on people when they come away with a big incision (laughs) and in the hospital for like four or five days, you know, everybody's like, yeah, I'm not putting a pregnant lady through this. It's going to, you know, all this stuff versus now. You go home the same day. Yeah, same day. Same yeah. day. Yeah. Same day. Yeah. Oh, I guess I should ask, how often do you convert to a bigger surgery? Knock on wood, hopefully. Me or, or just, me no, or everybody in general. How about in general? <laughs> uh in general, I would say the conversion rate is probably or the average general surgeon's conversion rate is five percent. Okay. And guys, by conversion, I mean, like you can't do it through the tiny incisions. You have to open it up to a bigger incision, which is a longer recovery, more pain. It's you're in the hospital longer. It's way more complex. Yeah. Yeah. Routine gallbladder, 5%. If you're looking at somebody that has stones stuck in the duct or something that's, you know, I call it a gallbladder plus it's probably 10, 15%, but most people don't have gallbladder plus. That's a whole different ball game. Okay. 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 All right. Mine. Yeah. What is your, you want to say it or you want to spoil less it? Less than 0.1%. Nice. 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 I know what I'm doing. Well, good. I, I would hope so. <laughs> all right. So just to wrap up, I ask everybody, all of my guests who comes on um, these questions, what is one of the most frustrating parts of your work? It is the fact that healthcare is a business and not mm-hmm. a right. So, I mean, not a right. It, it, it's, you know what I mean? I mean, it, yeah, it's not it, something that we prioritize that people should have. Right. Everybody yeah. should have health without having to be Correct. broke for it. Correct. You should be able to walk in the hospital, get care taken care of, walk out and not worry about a bill. Mm-hmm. There should be, you know, whether it's, you know, yeah, and it's stuff like co-pays. You know, I have patients that are like, hey, my gallbladder's hurting, but I can't get it out. I got to go to work or I don't have time off at work, which is sure. kind of crazy. Um, or I can't afford my $5,000 deductible, right. which, again, is kind of crazy. And, you know, you just get frustrated for all the hoops that we have to jump through to help people take care of themselves. 100%. So, it, it, you know, and it's no it's a no brainer that people are not doing stuff that they're supposed to if we're putting stepping stones in front of them, you know, obstruction, not stepping stones, but we're just putting blocks for them to have to navigate around just to get taken care of, you know? And it's just, yeah. it gets to be a pain in the back. And, and it's not just insurance companies, it's hospitals, it's physicians, oh, yeah. you know, yep. you know, we're all kind of part of it. And it just gets frustrated. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work? Uh, two things. One, and the main reason I got into general surgery, and I'm not dogging any other specialty, but in general surgery, we fix people. People come in, they have a problem, I fix it, mm-hmm. and they leave. Mm-hmm. It's like a one-night stand all over, and everybody <laughs> leaves happy, satisfied. <laughs> it's the best one-night stand most of these people are ever going to have in their life. They're like, see me in the Walmart. They're like, hey, you did my hernia. You did my gallbladder. Good to see you. Man, this is, you know, such and such. So right, it's like right. I'm giving out one night stands left and right. And I'm oh like 100 for 100. You know, and I, and I just like fixing people and knowing that they get well yeah. and move forward. Um, the other part is kind of a weird one. Um, I live in a small town. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I'll go somewhere and I'll run into a patient and, you know, They'll say, hey, doc, uh, such and such, such and such. Thanks for taking care of my grandma. She passed, but 
you did everything you could. We really appreciate you being straightforward with us. Or, hey, thanks for taking care of uh, my daughter, such and such. And they say that when my kids are with me. And, you know, every time, once in a while, my kids are kind of like, Dad, dude, you have a lot of people. I'm like, dude, it's important. Mm. You know, so so being able to live in an environment where my kids can see me doing good work yeah. and see people acknowledging that, you know, I think that probably is the selfish part of helping people that I truly enjoy. Yeah, I like that. Love it, love it, love it. So if you had to give one piece of advice to a pregnant person who has a who has gallbladder disease, what would what would you say? So just make sure that you research your symptoms and if you can hone in on the story before you go see your OB so that you can help your OB understand that this may not just be the nausea and vomiting associated with pregnancy, mm. that it may be a bad gallbladder because you will save yourself a lot of misery during the pregnancy. And if you think you've had gallbladder disease and you're planning a pregnancy, I would one, consider getting it tested, get your gallbladder tested just to make sure that it's not an issue before you get pregnant. Or if you get pregnant, you know, you're out here in the streets doing what you're not, you know, doing whatever, just end up pregnant between the first and second pregnancy. And if you have problems, make sure you at least address the gallbladder issue ahead of time. So you don't end up in a situation. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. So where can people find you? I know you make a lot of surgery videos. Um, <laughs> you have like 50 something thousand followers on Instagram. Yeah. One or, one or two. I can't remember. <laughs> um, and uh, if anybody who's interested, I have a fair number of like students and things like that, who I think would find your videos helpful. Or if you're just interested in surgery stuff, where can people follow you and watch yeah. what you do? So I'm um, at surgery MD on Instagram. Um, I don't like to read, so I'm not really on Twitter. Um, and I have a YouTube channel. It's uh, called the Crawford Clinic, and it pretty much goes over a host of general surgery topics. Um, we do a little bit of talking, uh, a lot of videos. So if you want to see dead feet cut off or if you want to learn how to do advanced colon surgery, um, that's a good reference. Some of the videos on YouTube are more geared to towards healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I do, um, I'm a professional education proctor for Ethicon. And uh, so I have to go around and teach people how to do gallbladders and colons laparoscopically and other little fancy stuff. So a lot of, some of that content is how to learn to take out a gallbladder or colon. So, but if you just want to learn how to take out a colon in your basement and you got all the equipment, it's a good reference. Oh my God. Cut off a foot. And it's, you know, I you need a license in most states. I'm just saying you need a license in most states. I cannot. But if you. you just cut, I'm just saying, if you just want to learn how to do it, just, you know, you can, you got them. You can, you can teach them. You know, sometimes you need extra skills just in case you never know what's going to happen. And, you know, <laughs> you end up somewhere and they got all the equipment and you want to know how to take all that out. I got you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, thank you, Dr. Crawford, for coming on and educating us about gallbladder disease. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Wasn't that a great episode? I bet you learned something about the gallbladder that you didn't know. I know that I did. All right. You know, after every episode where I have a guest, I do something called Nicole's Notes. And here are my Nicole's Notes, which are my top three or four takeaways from the episode with my conversation with Dr. Crawford. All right. Number one, if you need surgery or test in pregnancy, you need surgery or the test in pregnancy. Okay. I know that everyone wants to focus on the baby and understandably so, but sometimes there's a loss or people don't remember that in order for the baby to be healthy, the mom has to be healthy. That can be especially true with specialists who aren't obstetricians where they're like, I'm not touching anything with a pregnant woman because I'm afraid I'm going to hurt the baby without remembering that in order for the baby to be healthy, the mom has to be healthy. So we don't do surgery. We don't do tests or things in pregnancy unless it's absolutely necessary. So if you need it during pregnancy, you need it during pregnancy. Remember that in order for your baby to be healthy, you have to be healthy. Okay. Point number two, <laughs> Dr. Crawford talked a lot about how gallbladder disease is influenced by what you eat. And when you eat foods that are considered, you know, less healthy, that can exacerbate or make gallbladder disease worse or, you know, make it happen. 
I want to remind folks that pregnancy is an opportunity to maybe improve your health and your diet. I know there's the old, ooh, pregnancy is a time you can eat what you want because you're pregnant. And we need to rethink that. Pregnancy can actually be an opportunity for you to make different food choices in order to have you be healthy, have your baby be healthy. So think of pregnancy potentially as an opportunity to improve your health and well-being, especially your nutrition. All right. And the third point that I want to make is that in relation to um, his frustration about healthcare and healthcare, really, it just really shouldn't be so complicated. Like nobody should go broke from needing healthcare. People should have access to affordable healthcare. It really shouldn't be that difficult. This is where policy and advocacy are important. This is where paying attention to what's happening in politics is important because that has a huge influence on policy and the things that happen in healthcare. So I would encourage you to keep your eye open for things like that. If it's something that's important to you. And it really should be important to all of us that everyone has access to affordable health care. Pay attention to the policy and things that are happening in your state and on a national level. All right. So there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to podcast. I'd love it if you leave a review in Apple podcast. I do shout outs from those reviews from time to time. And I love to hear what you think about the show. Also, do check out the birth preparation course, DrNicoleRankins.com, so you too can feel calm, confident, and empowered for your birth. That's DrNicoleRankins.com forward slash enroll, actually. I forgot to put the ending there. All right, so that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week, and until then, I wish you a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. Head to my website, drnicolerankins.com to get even more great information, including free downloadable resources on how to manage pain and labor and warning signs to look out for after birth. You'll also find information on my free online class on how to make a birth plan that works, as well as everything you need to know about my signature online childbirth education class, the birth preparation course. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com and I will see you next week. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.